the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Monday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. James Blend is producing Charles Williams. Okay, Chris Williams is... <laughs> He's looking at him out. Who? Chris Williams is engineering this afternoon. By the way, you may not know Chris. He's a great guy. He's been around here for a long time. He can do anything. He can fix anything. He can discover the problem. And when I was doing the show from home, oftentimes Chris on his way home, which was out of the way, on his way home would come to my house to make sure um, I could things were hooked up or I could fix something. He's just he's brilliant. Anyway, he's engineering. Uh, today, we're going to hear from Dean and Sarah, the unsaved Christian, reaching cultural Christianity with the gospel. The book is published by Moody. That's coming up in the second hour of the program. We're also going to consider the question, is America in irreversible decline? That's coming up in the second hour as well. But first, we'll try to catch up on some of the top news stories over the last uh, couple of days. Well, the House, as you probably know by now, passed the $1.2 trillion infrastructure spending bill. That was late Friday night. They advanced the legislation held for ransom for months by Democrats on the left to ensure passage of the much more expensive social spending package, the reconciliation bill. Well, the House vote completed about 1130 p.m. Friday night was 228 to 206 with 13 Republicans joining all but six Democrats in support of the infrastructure spending plan and sending it to the president's desk. The much needed victory for his signature. However, he's yet to sign it because apparently he wants to wait till uh, Congress is back and he can be flanked by people who worked so hard to get this thing passed. Well, six of the House most liberal Democrats voted against the measure. Representatives Jamal uh, Bauman of New York, Cory Bush of Missouri, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez of New York, Ilhan Omar of Minnesota, Ayanna Presley of Massachusetts, and Rashida Tlaib of Michigan. I probably didn't even need to go through the list of names. That's pretty much who you would have expected. Uh, Democrats have 221 seats in the House, Republicans 213. One seat is vacant. Well, the infrastructure bill, long touted as bipartisan because Senate Republicans helped craft it, includes billions for improving mass transportation, expanding broadband Internet access, increasing green energy subsidies. Speaker Pelosi and other Democratic leaders also pledged to pass the $1.75 trillion social spending bill by Thanksgiving. Now, that's the one that the reconciliation bill that started out at three point something, uh, which actually represented closer to five to six point trillion something, um, according to the CBO. Well, they're now waiting for the Congressional Budget Office to give their estimate of what this is really going to cost. It started out with cinema and Manchin saying, you know, insisting that be the case. Well, now there are other moderates, I think, who are emboldened by the election last Tuesday, who are also insisting on it. So that's what they're waiting for at this point, among other things. We will have a Thanksgiving gift for the American people, the speaker says, in a way that is historic and transformative. She was speaking to reporters late Friday from Capitol Hill. She made the promise after winning approval of a procedural rule to make the social spending bill easier to pass to get the party's progressives wing 
on board for the more popular infrastructure measure. Well, they they call the reconciliation a an infrastructure bill as well, but it's infrastructure that's uh, made of flesh, if you will. Even so, Ocasio-Cortez and five other progressives voted against the infrastructure bill, which they long had demanded be considered at the same time as the less popular social spending bill. Well, the price tag of the social spending measure is down from $3.5 trillion originally proposed by the president and congressional Democrats and dubbed the Build Back Better Act, a name that echoes the president's 2020 campaign slogan. Well, on the House floor later in the night, the speaker said social spending bill will um, bill not only would uh, pass before Thanksgiving, but would be more transformative than the Affordable Care Act, better known as Obamacare. So I consider that a threat. Others might consider it something else. This is even bigger than that, she says. In fact, it strengthens the Affordable Care Act. Well, Congress passed the Affordable Care Act in late 2009, early 2010, without a single Republican vote. This promises to be a repeat of that um, Performance. House uh, Majority Leader Steny Hoyer uh, said Pelosi, who is, by the way, Pelosi's deputy, expressed optimism ahead of the vote on the infrastructure bill. And that was apparently warranted because it did pass on Friday and remains on the president's desk. And uh, once he has enough uh, folks to stand around and behind him, he presumably will sign it. It was an emergency, but apparently not a great emergency. Well, many conservatives are outraged at the defectors who crossed the aisle, but maybe they shouldn't be. So says David Marcus, referring to the 13 House GOP votes for the infrastructure bill. He says it may actually help conservatives. And here's what he has to say about that. He writes that after months of frustrating attempts to pass the bipartisan infrastructure bill, Speaker Pelosi finally got it across the finish line with the support of 13 Republican House members. The bill, which received 19 GOP votes in the Senate, was decoupled from the broader social spending package known as the Build Back Better bill. Well, many conservatives are outraged at the defectors who crossed the aisle, but maybe they shouldn't be. And here's his reasoning. Uh, There were basically three possible outcomes for the bill. The first was that neither passes. This was always a long shot, as uh, evidenced by only six of the 40 members of the progressive conference voting no. The vast majority uh, compromised. Is it possible a total meltdown could have derailed both? Maybe, but it would have been um, would have taken perfect and unlikely circumstances. The second potential outcome uh, scenario was that both bills pass as is. That is still a possibility. But even if more moderate House Democrats fold after the Build Back Better is scored by the Congressional Budget Office in the coming weeks, uh, that still doesn't solve the problem of objections from Senators Joe Manchin and um, Kirsten Sinema. Uh, progressives are no longer getting their support. In fact, it may have just gotten much more difficult. Well, the final possible outcome and one that seems most likely is that Build Back Better sees significant cuts now that the progressives are no longer holding the infrastructure bill hostage. This is the outcome the 13 GOP defectors are counting on. And if that is um, indeed what happens, it should be viewed as a win for Republicans in Congress. Again, three scenarios. He believes the third is most likely. It's also worth noting that six of the 13 Republicans, and this is in the House, who voted yes were from New York or New Jersey, both states that see huge boons in the bill, including $10 billion for the Metropolitan Transit Authority. People may scoff at Representative um, Nicole um, Maliolakis uh, selling out for HOV lanes on the Stanton Island Expressway, but you know who doesn't scoff at it? Her voters on the island who drive on that parking lot. 
It's uh, understandable why so many in the conservative pundit class are angry. For many, fighting Democrats at all costs is its own reward, and that is an approach that's had some success. But this is not a, a hill to die on by igniting a civil war in the GOP. The real beneficiaries of the primary um, these swing district Republicans, as many have suggested, would be the Democrat candidates running for those seats. Arguably more absurd are attacks on House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy out of California for not holding his caucus in line. He's dealing with margins just as small as Pelosi is, including retiring members such as the ever recalcitrant Adam Kinzinger, a Republican out of Illinois. Well, the bottom line, it passed. Thirteen Republicans helped that happen. What happens next will be. Well, something worth watching. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in the next hour of today's program, we'll hear from Dean and Sarah, the unsaved Christian. Now, think about that for a moment. That's coming up in the second hour of today's program. We're also going to look at whether or not America is in irreversible decline and what that might mean. Well, the first 10 months of the administration have brought us numerous indicators that national defense is not a priority from a defense budget that fails to meet current challenges to continual expansion of non-military tasks such as climate change, hitting diversity quotas and the uh, the Afghanistan debacle. Now, Senate Democrats seemingly taking their cues from the president are allowing legislation that's central to protecting the country to languish without action. More than three months ago, the Senate Armed Services Committee passed its version of the National Defense Authorization Act by a wide bipartisan margin of 23 to 3. Well, like most truly bipartisan bills, the act has its shortcomings and its bright spots. Hopefully, in a conference between the House and Senate, the bill can be further polished. There are problems with the proposed changes to the Uniform Code of Military Justice, women being included in the selective service, expansion of domestic violence, restraining orders, and a few other issues. But none of that can proceed until the Senate acts. Well, among the bright spots in the bill approved by the Senate Armed Services Committee are spending increases above what the president proposed in his Budget request, which will provide an increased number of desperately needed Navy ships, such as a destroyer and an amphibious assault ship and military vehicles, such as joint lightweight tactical vehicles and the striker infantry combat vehicle. Well, the budget increase is necessary to start to fill out the currently short shirt. I should say current shortcomings faced by the military services, as shown by a recently released 2022 index of U.S. military strength. Well, right now, the bill is collecting dust because the Senate leadership has chosen well, not to prioritize our national defense and its annual authorization. The Senate instead is embroiled in discussions about how to vastly expand the welfare state and how to take control of a larger share of the American economy. Well, the Senate's lack of urgency with respect to national defense is made further evident by the work of the House Armed Services Committee. Even though the House got a later start than the Senate, it raced ahead of the Senate and the House was a House bill rather was voted out of the House floor before the end of September. The bill received wide bipartisan approval. It passed 316 votes in favor to 113 against. 
For a bill to become law, of course, both chambers of Congress approve their versions of the bill and then they come together in conference to settle the differences and reach an agreement on a single version of the legislation. For that to take place, both chambers have to have their respective versions of the legislation officially approved. With the Senate's delay in acting on the defense bill, that can't happen. It can't even start to happen, hammering out those differences. Well, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, he summarized the situation this way. Democrats have completely neglected the National Defense Authorization Act and the traditional robust and real floor process that it will need. He added they're too busy debating how much socialism to unleash on the country to look out for our our troops, our veterans and our national security. This unseriousness will leave Americans less safe. Well, the chairman of the House Armed Services Committee, Representative Adam Smith, also expressed his frustration with the Senate. He's a Democrat from Washington. He stated, let's be clear, there's no reason why the Senate hasn't moved the bill on the floor yet, but that doesn't stop us from doing our job. Well, there's not much to be done since there isn't a bill to reconcile. Well, the Senate can and must do its job, pass the National Defense Authorization Act for a fiscal year that's already one month old, and it would show that the Senate majority can perform basic governance tasks, that's one of them, by passing an annual bipartisan authorization bill. So keep your eyes and ears open. I certainly will as well and will continue to report on its progress or in this case, lack of progress in the U.S. Senate. Meanwhile, the House Select Committee investigating the January 6th Capitol event issued six new subpoenas today for associates and allies of former President Trump. The committee chairman, Representative Bernie Thomas, a Democrat from Mississippi, announced that subpoenas were issued for former Trump campaign manager William Stepien, senior advisor Jason Miller, former national executive assistant to the campaign Angela McCallum. Three additional subpoenas were issued to former national security advisor Michael Flynn, lawyer John Eastman and Bernard Carrick, who, according to the committee, paid for hotel rooms in Washington, D.C. that Trump allies used as election related command centers. The committee is seeking various records by the 23rd of this month and testimony from witnesses from late November through mid-December. The select committee, they say, needs to know every detail about their efforts to overturn the election. Well, that's a presumption. They've already made a judgment on that point, including who they were talking to in the White House and in Congress, what connections they had with the uh, uh, with rallies that escalated into a riot and who paid for it, Thomas said in a statement. The select committee expects all witnesses to cooperate with our investigation as we work to get answers for the American people who've for the most part moved on, recommend changes to our laws that will strengthen our democracy constitutional republic and help ensure nothing like january 6th ever happens again we'll continue to follow that story and whether or not those who have been uh, subpoenaed most recently will cooperate meanwhile joe manchin uh, was uh, blockaded in his car by climate protesters who claim he tried to run them over of course they were surrounding his car Behind, on the right, the left, and in front, climate change protesters boasted, this was on Thursday, about blockading the senator's car in a parking garage, accusing the West Virginia Democrat of trying to run them over in his attempt to exit the structure. In other words, go home. Uh, We blockaded Joe Manchin's car and he tried to run us over, stated a TikTok video posted by one 
uh, who showed the uh, confrontation. The clip shows protesters standing in front of and behind the luxury vehicle inside the parking garage, holding a banner while at least one person leans on the vehicle's hood. Others recorded themselves on video while yelling at the driver. The constant sound of a car horn can be heard throughout, but it was not clear if that was Manchin's horn honking or others who were also trying to exit the uh, the garage. This is Joe Manchin's car slowly pressing into our peaceful protesters, a person said. Well, the group chanted, we want to live. We want to live. That phrase um, was it, it amended to include some expletives. It was the rallying cry of the demonstration aimed at convincing Manchin to support the president's multi-trillion dollar Build Back Better spending package. In other developments, CNN, MSNBC are also squeezing Joe Manchin on social spending bill uh, rather than just reporting on it, which is what I thought anyway. Uh, Manchin dealt a major blow to uh, Democratic efforts to include amnesty for illegal immigrants in their spending bill. And Abigail Spanberger and Manchin hit President Biden and progressives for their massive reconciliation demands, saying nobody elected him to be FDR. In fact, he campaigned as a moderate, but certainly is governing as something else. New York Times' Nicole Hannah-Jones says Martin Luther King Jr. never called for a colorblind society. That's news to most people who lived through that era. Uh, Michigan still has more than 25,000 dead people on their voter rolls, a lawsuit claims. Uh, News uh, core profits surged on gains in real estate, um, the book publishing and news media. And Boeing shareholders, I should say, reached a settlement in the 737 Max Board uh, oversight suit. The October jobs report is expected to show a pickup in hiring. And President Biden's social spending infrastructure bill was on track for House votes on Friday. It happened. Procedural votes preceded the actual vote. San Francisco plans to require children as young as five to show proof of vaccination for indoor events. If you don't submit your five-year-old to the vaccine, they can't go with you to a restaurant, a baseball game, among other events or places. President Biden denounced the plan to pay illegal immigrants $450,000, infuriating the ACLU before he said, yes, it's absolutely necessary to compensate those uh, who are seeking um, some kind of uh, redress. His own secretary, uh, press secretary, also contradicted the president's comments last week. Well, the Daily Wire filed a lawsuit against President Biden for his mandates. The uh, Dillon Law Group, Inc. and Alliance Defending Freedom filed the legal challenge on behalf of the Daily Wire in the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Sixth Circuit. The mandate requires all private employers of 100 or more employees to force unvaccinated employees to receive a COVID vaccine, be subject to weekly testing or lose their job. Attorneys for the Daily Wire will also file an emergency motion to stay the mandate. Kirsten Wagoner points out lawsuit filed more to come. Um, We are not uh, the enforcement arm of the federal government, referring to the Daily Wire, who pressed the suit. Forcing Americans to choose between their livelihoods and their freedom is a grotesque abuse of power and we won't be party to it. Jeremy Boring went on to say, we will not incur the cost of implementing this testing regime. We will not incur the liability of inserting themselves, ourselves rather, into the private health decisions and information of our employees. Our company was founded to stand against tyranny, and we will. Meanwhile, Representative Ocasio-Cortez thinks Terry McAuliffe um, lost because he was not radical enough. 
From the story, in a video stream, she acknowledges that Virginia was a huge bummer for progressives. A bummer. She did go on to claim that, honestly, if anything, I think the results show the limits of trying to run a fully 100% super-moderated campaign that does not excite, speak to, or energize a progressive base. And frankly, we weren't even invited to contribute to that race. Uh, These claims from the congresswoman, a key member of the squad, were, well questionable from the uh, positions Democratic candidates took to their endorsements, as well as having Democratic figures campaign for them, including Stacey Abrams. The Democratic ticket was arguably quite progressive. Dan Crenshaw, uh, who's a Republican, points out, yes, Democrats listen to AOC. Uh, You're um, you aren't radical enough. That's the problem. Well, of course, he is looking for the opposite result. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in just a few moments. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in our second hour, we'll consider is American uh, in irreversible decline? We'll also hear from Dean and Sarah, the unsaved Christian, reaching cultural Christianity with the gospel. We're continuing our move through some of the uh, weekend's news stories. The media revealed their isolation and ridiculing a large family and their milk consumption. Apparently that was comical. Many in the media took part in the mockery of a large family struggling with Biden's inflation. Over 50,000 illegal immigrants slipped past the Border Patrol in October alone. This follows a fiscal year when over 400,000 got away. A man who donated his body to science instead of Uh, to science rather instead um, was found in a public dissection a group sold tickets to watch the dissection of his corpse right here in portland the story explains how the widow who was horrified to learn that her late husband was actually dissected before a paying audience last month in a marriott hotel ballroom here a touring group billed as the oddities and curiosities expos charged about five hundred dollars per ticket wow well, what are the odds? The woman who testified against Donald Trump also introduced the authors of the fake Russian dossier to each other. We've just learned. And Nancy Pelosi touted deficit reduction ahead of the vote on Friday on spending and the infrastructure bill. The Justice Department is suing Texas to block portions of their new voting integrity law. And the Senate has confirmed Thomas Nides as ambassador to Israel. The Border Patrol released 280,000 migrants into the United States over the past year. A whopping 95,000 are untracked. And the Biden administration emulating Trump approved $650 million in arms sales to Saudi Arabia. A staggering number of green card holders, about 14,000, remain stranded in Afghanistan. You can read more about that in National Review. And undercutting U.S. strategy, China is upholding the Iranian regime with oil purchases. Well, thousands of Border Patrol agents are at risk of being fired over vaccine mandates. And the Missouri attorney general plans to sue the Biden administration over the vax mandate. Florida also plans to do the same. The newly elected Virginia attorney general is vowing to investigate sexual assaults at Loudoun schools. And the Supreme Court appears to be ready to strike down the restrictive New York concealed carry law they heard last week. SCOTUS has taken an EPA emissions regulation case offering fossil fuels hope for relief. And half of Americans uh, are burned out by screens and they've turned to podcasts. So if you're trying to gain the public's attention, podcast is apparently where the attention is focused. 
The Labor Department's Bureau of Labor Statistics announced on Friday that 100,450,000 people in the country were not in the labor force in October. That's up 38,000 from uh, September. This is the 14th straight month that is not in the labor force number has remained above a million, 100 million. Well, persons who are neither employed nor unemployed are not in the labor force. This category includes retired persons, students, those taking care of children or other family members and others who are neither working nor seeking work. Republican lawmakers are demanding answers from the president's administration on reported massive payments to be made to uh, immigrants who entered the country illegally. The letter first obtained by the Daily Signal shows recent reports indicate that the administration, as part of negotiations with activist groups, is considering paying four hundred and fifty thousand dollars per person to uh, those who entered the United States illegally with their children, the letter said, referring to the American Civil Liberties Union. Each family of uh, illegal aliens could reportedly receive nearly a million dollars for a total potential payout of one billion dollars or more from U.S. taxpayers. The letter is directed to Attorney General Merrick Garland, signed by 19 Republicans, including Representatives Jim Jordan of Ohio, Louis Gohmert and Chip Roy of Texas, and Matt Gates of Florida. If accurate, the letter continued, these reports show how the administration is once again putting the interests of those in the country illegally above the interests of, interest, rather, of U.S. citizens and continuing to incentivize uh, immigration into the country uh, without legal authority. Meanwhile, since its debut a decade ago, the facial recognition software developed by Facebook, whose corporate umbrella is now called Meta, was marketed as a time saver to its users. For example, when a user posts a picture or a video, subjects can be conveniently tagged at a mere click. But convenience and privacy oftentimes mix as crudely as oil and water. Ergo, this software has uh, caused more headaches for Facebook founder Mark Zuckerberg. Well, in a blog post, Meta's artificial intelligence um, vice president, Jerome uh, Pazenti, stated... Every new technology brings with it potential for both benefit and concern, and we want to find the right balance. Well, striking that right balance has been tough with facial recognition software, to say the least. Well, this particular tech has plagued Facebook with legal troubles. In 2011, it caused controversy in several European countries. The data protection authorities there said facial recognition was illegal because it violated consent laws by the users. In 2015, a class action lawsuit was filed in Illinois against Facebook for its use of the software. Facebook ended up paying $650 million for violating state law by gathering biometric information without user consent. And in 2019, the Federal Trade Commission fined Facebook $5 billion, that's with a B, to settle privacy complaints. Well, facial recognition software as a general rule has caused conflict and controversy and is rife with potential for abuse. China uses this sort of technology to track Uyghurs. In the U.S., the police use this tech to help identify criminals. Even with the ever more accurate AI and biometrics, the possibility that it results in an innocent person going to jail or that it um, eradicates Americans' privacy, although... Uh, altogether is um, the ultimate danger. Notably, Facebook is only dropping this software because it hits its pocketbook like other big tech companies. Facebook or Meta is hardly innocent when it comes to user privacy. It's allowed third party uh, companies to mine data for political campaigns, advertising and other consumer driven marketing. And the Netflix documentary, The Social Dilemma, 
Former executive from executives, plural, from many of the big tech companies confide that they would never let their children use these platforms because of the data mining that goes on and the harmful manipulation of the algorithms that direct users down the path of platforms like Twitter or Facebook uh, where they want them to go. So if the uh, these tech executives won't let their family use the uh, or have access to these platforms, one wonders why should we in other news, the Biden administration is considering shutting down another pipeline, drawing criticism and dire warnings as the winter nears. Well, reportedly, the administration is weighing the potential market consequences of shutting down an oil pipeline in Michigan, drawing criticism from opponents. Former Michigan Governor Jennifer Granholm, Biden's energy secretary, predicted on Sunday that heating prices will rise this winter, regardless of the administration's decision on the pipeline. Yeah, this is going to happen. It will be more expensive this year than last year, she said, speaking on CNN. The administration is yet to decide on what to do with Line 5, and officials were gathering information only to present a clear picture of the situation, according to sources. Uh, Line 5 is part of a network that moves crude oil and other petroleum products from Western Canada, transporting about 540,000 barrels per day. Petroleum is taken from the pipeline in Escanita, I should say Escanaba, Michigan. Jason Hayes, who's the director of environmental policy at the um, uh, Center for Public Policy, blasted the administration for its energy policies, saying that their work on Line 5 is just one more example of being divorced from reality. They're planning to power an in industrial a nation like the United States on solar panels and wind turbines that are not in place, while noting that even the solar panels and wind turbines require oil, natural gas, nuclear and even coal to be produced. In other developments, Biden Energy Secretary Granholm says the cost of heating homes this winter will be more expensive than last year and laughed when asked in an interview about um, uh, controlling the prices. Dagan McDowell says the Biden administration took a chainsaw to the energy industry and global security. Mark Thiessen weighs in, saying the administration inflated gas prices by declaring war on fossil fuels. And by the way, this is consistent with the Biden campaign's stated goals. Natural gas exports lifted prices for U.S. utilities ahead of winter. Some of the biggest natural gas producers have vowed to keep investments in production growth low. And Sean Hannity blasted the Biden energy secretary for laughing at fuel price concerns. Once again, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, rappers Travis Scott and Drake have been sued over the incident at the former's um, Astroworld Festival on Friday that left eight people dead. Well, the Texas Attorney General, uh, I should say attorney, Thomas Henry, filed a lawsuit on Sunday against Travis Scott, whose real name is Jakes Berman Webster, as well as Drake, whose real name is Aubrey Drake Graham. The suit uh, also names Live Nation and NRG Stadium. According to a report from the Daily Mail, the suit is being filed on behalf of concert attendee uh, Kristen Paradis, 23, from Austin, Texas. Paradis reportedly filed a complaint seeking more than a million dollars in damages after both rappers allegedly incited the crowd and left him injured. The Astroworld Festival reportedly turned deadly when the crowd surged forward after Drake made an appearance on stage. At a news conference on Saturday afternoon, the mayor, Sylvester Turner, confirmed that while the age of one fatality remained unknown, other victims were 14 to 27 years old. The causes of death 
uh, or asphyxiation, uh, a mass casualty event. Well, in a press release uh, announcing the lawsuit, Henry noted Drake and Scott continued to perform even as vehicles attempted to break through the crowd to help those who had been injured and others called for the show to be stopped. Travis Scott uh, looks distraught in a video noting his uh, he's working to assist families of the Astro World Festival's uh, deaths. He's also offering to pay the funeral expenses for those who lost their lives. Police confirmed an Astro World security guard was likely injected with drugs when stabbed in the neck with a needle at this event. And Travis Scott's Astro World deaths were preceded by fans injured uh, fan injuries rather at a 2019 festival. Meanwhile, Pro Football Hall of Famer Terry Bradshaw took a strong stance against Aaron Rodgers Sunday after the Green Bay Packers quarterback revealed he was not vaccinated against COVID-19 despite the initial belief that he had gotten the vaccine. Uh, Bradshaw uh, addressed the Rodgers situation during Fox NFL Sunday, saying Rodgers lied about being vaccinated after telling reporters back in August he had been immunized, which isn't the same. He was using some other um, natural approach. The interesting thing is he is being repudiated um, widely as being a liar for not being vaccinated, which really goes to the heart of this notion that you must be vaccinated. And he apparently had made arrangements with the um, football league. Uh, we're a divided nation politically. We are a divided nation on COVID-19, whether or not to take the vaccine. And unfortunately, we got players that pretty much only think about themselves, Bradshaw said. And I'm extremely disappointed in the actions of Aaron Rodgers, Bradshaw continued. Well, there's a lot more to that story. NFL teams are taking issue with the fairness of COVID protocol standards after the Aaron Rodgers vaccine revelation. Well, players have to submit proof of vaccination to the teams, not to the league office. Uh, Green Bay Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers uh, missed Sunday's game at Kansas City after being placed on their COVID-19 protocol. Because he's considered unvaccinated, he has to stay isolated for at least 10 days. Well, who's responsible for knowing a player's vaccine status? Well, each of the 32 teams... Uh, players um, have to submit proof of vaccination to the team, not to the league office. Well, what's considered sufficient vaccination? Well, players have to take two shots of one of the approved vaccinations under NFL protocols, which is Pfizer or Moderna, or one dose of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. Dr. Alan Sales, the league's chief medical officer, explained players who have been previously documented with having uh, had COVID-19 could be considered protected with one shot of those vaccines. There are also the possibility of a player having antibody levels that show a previous case of coronavirus and they can receive one shot to be protected. We have very dear pro- uh, clear protocols of vaccination requirements and what can be considered as being fully vaccinated under those protocols. Well, did the NFL know Aaron Rodgers was unvaccinated? Well, the answer, quite frankly, is yes, as did the Packers and the NFL Players Association. Uh, so, again, uh, he he uh was honest with them about his status. Rogers, who says he has an allergy to an ingredient in two of the vaccines, approached the NFLPA uh, during the, the uh, summer seeking approval of the treatment he took, uh, details of which have not been made public. Dr. Tom Mayer, the union's medical director, consulted with sales and uh, with infectious disease consultants jointly agreed upon the NFL and the union. They determined that Rogers' treatment did not meet the qualifications or protocol to be considered a vaccine. Rogers has been required to wear a mask at the Packers uh, facility and to follow protocols designed for unvaccinated players. He is one of only 5% of the league's players considered unvaccinated. Will anyone be penalized? A final question. 
Very likely, if the NFL's investigation, which also includes looking uh, into a Halloween party attended by Rodgers, finds violations of their protocols. Most responsible would be the Packers for not eliminating any violations. They could be fined and stripped of draft choices. For example, the Los Angeles uh, Raiders were fined $500,000 last year when there were no vaccinations available for breaking protocols, but no teams lost picks in the 2021 draft for COVID-19 violations. Rodgers naturally could be sanctioned by the NFL, too. That probably would involve a fine rather than a suspension. Sills has been very clear that enforcement of the protocols is serious business. We'll continue to follow that story. Aaron Rodgers is facing scrutiny from Drew Brees and Tony Dungy over his covid back stance as well, saying you can't be unavailable. David Marcus 13 uh, points out that 13 House GOP members voted for the infrastructure bill that may have helped conservatives and a Boston Antifa protest turned violent. No surprise from this vantage point here in Portland with two arrested after police in riot gear responded. Or in that case, were allowed to respond. A California teacher's um, alleged uh, quiz question trashed conservatives the school is investigating and a nashville pastor tackled an armed suspect during a church service perhaps saving many of his parishioners the pilots are protesting biden's vaccine mandate outside a north carolina airport saying enough is enough and smith and weston broke ground on their new home weeks after announcing their move to tennessee one of the world's largest investment firms will need permission to hire white males and natural gas exports lift prices for U.S. utilities ahead of winter. Well, the president's approval rating continues to sink to 38 percent one year before the midterm elections. The USA Today Suffolk University poll taken on Wednesday through Friday found the Biden support um, cratered among the independent voters who delivered his margin of victory over President Donald Trump one year ago. From another story, while many in the poll supported the infrastructure bill, only one in four believed that Build Back Better would be helpful for them. More believed it would hurt them uh, than help their families. Thirty to 26 percent. Ed Morrissey weighs in in town hall. The president's cowardly actions in Afghanistan started the collapse, but other factors fed into it. Inflation, the economic stall in the third quarter, the Democrats feud between moderates and progressives. It all creates the sense that Biden is in over his head. That perception has become a self-fulfilling prophecy as Biden's woes on Capitol Hill and in Virginia prove. Southern Baptist Theological Seminary is suing OSHA over the vaccine mandate. Uh, From the story, the Biden administration's decision to mandate vaccines through OSHA emergency rule is unlawful and compels employers like our clients to intrude on their employees' personal health decisions and divert resources from their important mission of training future ministers. The ADF senior counsel, Ryan Bangert, says, well, the government has no authority to unilaterally treat unvaccinated employees like workplace hazards or to compel uh, compel employers to become vaccine commissars. And we are asking the Sixth Circuit Court to put a stop to it immediately. We are honored to represent these two theological seminaries at this critical time and help ensure they can continue to serve their students and communities without government interference. Well, AOC came out swinging over James Carville's slam of woke Democrats. She fumed rather throughout the weekend. Peggy Noonan points out, I think Tuesday marked a kind of psychic endpoint to the past terrible two years and into pandemic dominance to pandemic thinking and all that came with from lockdowns to social and cultural unrest. Later, she writes in the Wall Street Journal, Democrats have allowed themselves to be associated with 
to become the political home of progressive thinking. Uh, They thought they had to. Progressives would beat them to a pulp if they didn't go with the program. They thought it would play itself out. This was a mistake. You can't associate a great party with cultural extremism and not eventually pay a price. One of the largest investment firms is seeking to diminish the number of white male employees and Jewish groups are seeking the resignation of the Twitter Middle East news director over anti-Israel tweets, asking how did Twitter not check the prior tweets or did they? The FBI raided Project Veritas, apparently over a missing Biden diary. Both the main office and the home of James O'Keefe were raided by the FBI, apparently in search of President Biden's daughter, Ashley's diary, with O'Keefe saying he had already given to police. The incident raises a lot of questions about the reasons the FBI got involved rather than local authorities. And the Bay Area is in a panic as vaccine mandates will disproportionately keep blacks out of schools. Rutgers University faculty group is uh, showing support for a um, white hating professor who uh, Brittany Cooper, who said in a recent interview that white people are committed to being villains. And as such, we got to take these expletives out. God help us. I hope you're praying for the the nation because we need help. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We've got news and traffic coming up. And in the second hour, we'll hear from Dean and Sarah, the unsaved Christian, reaching cultural Christianity with the gospel. And we'll consider if America is in irreversible decline. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, welcome back. You're listening to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. Coming up for our next couple of segments, we'll hear from Dean and Sarah, author of The Unsaved Christian. We'll also consider, is America in irreversible decline? That's coming up later in this second hour. Well, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals temporarily blocked the president's private employer COVID vaccine mandate on Saturday. The three-judge panel decision was in response to lawsuits brought by both uh, several Republican state attorneys general and private employers against the uh, Occupational Safety and Health Administration's new rule that mandates that private companies with 100 or more employees require that workers are either vaccinated or receive weekly tests. The judges uh, observed that Biden's new OSHA rule presented grave statutory and constitutional issues. This has the potential of being much more broadly applied. Well, this is a great victory for the American people. The Louisiana Attorney General Jeff Landry of the uh, said of the ruling. Never before has the federal government tried in such a forceful way to get between the choices of an American citizen and their doctor. To me, that's the heart of the entire issue, end quote. While the OSHA regulation penalizes employers $14,000 for each violation, the new rule, by the way, is distinct from Biden's vaccine mandate for all federal employees and federal contractors, although both mandates are enforced by OSHA. At least 27 states have filed lawsuits against the vaccine mandate, and it's not just Republicans who are objecting. Kansas Democrat Governor Laura Kelly issued a critical statement over the weekend. I reviewed the new vaccine mandate from the Biden administration. While I appreciate the intention of keeping people safe, a goal I share, I don't believe this directive is the correct or the most effective solution for Kansas, end quote. 
Also, the OSHA enforcement of the president's COVID vaccine mandate is where, mandate rather is where legal uh, scholars see significant overreach in violation of constitutional authority. Essentially, the administration has unilaterally expanded the role of OSHA beyond what Congress authorized. And it's on this basis where the courts may fault and ultimately strike down the president's overreach as unconstitutional. The administration has played fast and loose with the rules in order to avoid the checks and balances in place to prevent exactly this sort of government abuse of power. Uh, Not only have the administration's um, do-gooders sought to unconstitutionally expand OSHA's authority, they've also dubiously applied an emergency temporary standard excuse in order to justify bypassing a federal agency requirement that the public receive notice of a new rule and have a period of public response and scrutiny before any new rule can be finalized. Well, this fight is far from over, as the uh, president's vaccine mandate is scheduled to take full effect on January 4th. Thankfully, the Fifth Circuit pumped the brakes on this uh, abuse of power, at least temporarily. The next question is whether the court will decide to issue a nationwide injunction preventing the implementation of the new OSHA vaccine mandate until it has uh, worked its way through the courts, likely requiring a ruling by the U.S. Supreme Court. Millions of Americans' jobs are on the line. Meanwhile, a recent analysis by two researchers clearly questions the conclusions of a so-called study performed by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and published in the New England Journal of Medicine and now cited to support the use of the COVID shots in pregnant women. In their analysis, spontaneous abortions and policies on COVID-19 mRNA vaccine use during pregnancy, Dr. Simon Thornley, a senior lecturer in the University of Auckland section of epidemiology and biostatistics, and Dr. Alicia Brock, the researcher in New Zealand, revealed that the CDC study presents falsely reassuring statistics related to the risk of spontaneous abortion in early pregnancy, since the majority of women in the calculation were exposed to the mRNA product after the outcome period was defined 20 weeks gestation. In fact, their analysis found that the preliminary findings of mRNA COVID-19 vaccine safety in pregnant persons actually indicates an increased incidence of miscarriages seven to eight times higher than the authorities' results. Well, the limitation and inaccuracies of this study are many. The authors uh, analyzed data from December 14, 2020 through February 28th of this year, an 11-week span. That's less than one trimester on a nine-month pregnancy. Data was collected from three U.S. vaccine safety monitoring systems, the V-SAFE after vaccination health checker, the V-SAFE registry, and the vaccine adverse event reporting system. The CDC's V-SAFE registry is a smartphone app which sends text messages to participants to prompt them to complete an online survey to assess their health status and encourage reporting of adverse reactions post-vaccination. Therefore, since participants communicated through a phone app, is it... um, It is rather impossible to know whether they are actually women, pharmaceutical employees, or even pregnant. Well, Thornley and Brock draw attention to the errors and recalculate the risk of pregnant women taking the the injection. The CDC study presents falsely reassuring uh, statistics related to the risk of miscarriage in early pregnancy since the majority of women in the calculation were exposed to the injection, injection rather after the outcome period was defined. 
It also states that the sample population is a total of 35,691 V-SAFE participants, 16 to 54 years of age, identified as pregnant. However, the authors only followed 827 people who identified as pregnant. Yet Thornley and Brock found that a closer inspection reveals that between 700 and 713 women were exposed to the injection after the time frame for recording the outcome had elapsed uh, up to 20 weeks of pregnancy. So an open question there, which is why many women who are either preparing to or want to become pregnant have been hesitant uh, with the vaccine, uncertain about whether or not the research has been accurate up to this point. Well, now that the Pfizer vaccine is available for children between the ages of 5 to 11, parents are pretty split on the decision of whether to vaccinate their children. It's really an easy decision for us to get it as soon as we can, says one parent living in uh, northeast Portland. We decided not uh, not going to get them vaccinated. Uh, We are not going, a parent living in Salem says. Well, nationwide, only 27 percent of parents are getting their kids vaccinated, according to the Kaiser Family Foundation. Uh, Here in Portland, most parents... um, Uh, who spoke with a a representative from a local news outlet, said they're getting their kids vaccinated as soon as possible. Uh, The decision to vaccinate their 5 to 11-year-old children uh, came easily for some parents, not so much for others. Uh, Plus, uh, these parents are looking forward to an economic benefit as well. There are a lot of families who have a parent at home who's not working to look after the kids. Once they're vaccinated, they can return to work. On the other hand, the decision to not vaccinate their kids came just as easily to other parents. People are saying it's um, more than enough time. I don't think so. It's just not right for me. I don't want them to go through anything like this and so on. If schools are saying that kids have to get some shot in order to attend, our kids will not be attending, says another parent. So interestingly and not surprisingly, parents are split on the question. At this point, there isn't a mandate, but that certainly could follow at some point. All right, we got to take a break. We've got, uh, well, some stuff you need to know. And when we return, we'll hear from Dean and Sarah, the unsaved Christian, reaching cultural Christianity with the gospel. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. Is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. Douglas Andrews had an interesting column uh, today from in the Patriot Post asking, is America an irreversible decline? And it's an interesting thought. What does that mean, first of all, irreversible decline? I mean, the nation has risen and fallen uh, many times over its history. But he writes that with Joe Biden leading the country into a fiscal, cultural and demographic ruin, with nearly all the nation's major institutions having thrown in with the left and with China seemingly having passed us economically and poised to pass us militarily, a hard question needs to be asked. Have we permanently squandered what our forefathers or the forefathers, I don't refer to them as mine because my history here is quite different, but what the forefathers left us? A week ago, we might have answered differently, but the American people had their say just Tuesday as they seem to have answered resoundingly no. Now, just one caution in, in over playing the hand of a, an election before the midterm election. It certainly is instructive, but it may not be quite as decisive as 
um, those on one side want it to be. So just putting keeping that in mind. Lord Conrad Black of uh, Cross Harbor, a member of the British House of Lords since 2001, a former financier and publisher, a noted conservative essayist, and the biographer of Franklin Roosevelt, Richard Nixon, and Donald Trump, among others, pondered a similar question recently in the new Criterion's annual circle lecture, Is America in Irreversible Decline? So it's being thought about in places far from home. Well, he um, Black was scheduled to give his lecture in person at the new Criterion in New York. But at the last minute, Lord Black, the publication's 2020-2021 visiting critic and its recipient of the Edmund Burke Award for Service to Culture and Society, was shamefully denied entry into the United States from Canada. As the um, new Criterion's executive editor, John Pinero, quipped, the southern border may be open door, uh, be an open door, but the northern border remains bolted shut. At um, at least as it concerns the entry of Lord Black, end quote. So Black gave his lecture remotely. He began by dispensing with the question right away. The U.S., he said, may, be, may have plateaued, but it should be able to maintain its lofty position for a long time. As he put it, the United States is today no less important a country in the world than it was a year ago or 10 or 20 or 30 years ago. It was only 30 years ago that it led the West to the greatest and most bloodless strategic victory in history in the distinct disintegration, rather, of its only rival as a superpower in the world. This disintegration occurred as a result of the inspired policy of containment followed by 10 presidents. No shot in anger was ever exchanged between the United States and the Soviet Union. When we think about it, that's quite an accomplishment and one that perhaps no other country in history could have achieved. He went on to say, and he recalled the fate of those nations that in relatively recent history doubted both the ability and the resolve of the United States. Again, quoting the German provocation provocation of the United States to enter World War One was equaled only by the Japanese and German in, initiation of war against the United States in World War Two and Stalin's provocation of the Cold War as the greatest strategic mistakes of any country of the 20th century. The common failing of all of these was the underestimation of the power of the United States and all these adversaries were laid low as a result of it. It is a little early to think of such uh, uh, a country so quickly plunging into a nosedive. There's no reason whatever to imagine that if the United States were severely provoked and threatened again, its response would be any less vigorous than on previous such occasions. In 1942, President Roosevelt spoke for the nation when he said, when the very life of our country is in mortal danger to serve in the armed forces of the United States is not a sacrifice. It is a privilege, end quote. Well, should such circumstances recur, I put it to you that the response would be similar. He's more optimistic than some within the country. Well, he pointed out that the seven decade threat of international communism and the Soviet Union, that great and existential threat to the West, fell like a souffle. Black then addressed the elephant in the room. China, and he told his audience to be vigilant, but not to be taken in by all the hype. He noted that China is the greatest economic development story in history, and its rise represents the first time a once great power fell and then regained its status. And he continued, quoting, the U.S. is fundamentally much more powerful than China. How so? China, he said, lacks the internal resources to support an aging, overlarge and culturally 
uh, in homogenous population, is 40 percent a command economy riven by corruption and possesses no civilian institutions that are respected in or outside the country. Several hundred million Chinese still live as their ancestors did 2000 years ago. Well, he noted a characteristic of the United States that often gets overlooked since the Revolutionary War. We Americans have had the genius of the spectacle, as he put it. The world was riveted by the American experiment and has not ceased to be so, end quote. Perhaps the United States is on top because the rest of the world deems it so. But Lord Black, as every great speaker does, saved his best for last. Again, quoting. The effort to use the rickety platform of the Democratic left to transform the United States into a torpid socialist country will fail. Adam Smith famously said there is a great deal of ruin in a country and there is a great deal of general failure before a great power comes into inexorable decline. This is no time for complacency, but no such decline is in process. Americans are still highly motivated and very patriotic. American political institutions, though strained and tainted at times, still function. The national political media are starting to retrieve a modicum of professionalism. Again, he's a bit more optimistic than I am. And China has no answer to the full force of American creativity, spontaneity and focused national determination. Well, Black closed his lecture with the words, thank you very much. And he looked dismissively, even contemptuously to his left. And as he uttered them, there's uh, so much more to what he says over the course of his 38 minute lecture But this gesture alone is worth the price of admission. The reports of our demise, he believes, have been greatly exaggerated. I hope he's right. And those of us who are more skeptical are wrong. Well, you're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. We're just about out of time. I do want to take a moment to thank James Blend for producing today's program and Chris Williams for engineering today and for the remainder of this week. And thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.